Welcome to the 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating the principles of life, liberty, and property. You are listening to season three, Property. Mitch, it's awesome to, uh, to have you on today. Thank you for taking the time. Patrick, thanks for inviting me. And here I am in gloomy Boston, Massachusetts, talking to you in beautiful, sunny Utah. So we're here. Well, we're transitioning to the fall. So it's uh, sunny is sporadic, but I guarantee that we have a little bit more sun than, uh, than Boston. Because I, I grew up there and, you know, it's, that's one of the reasons why I left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mitch, you have quite the remarkable background and I would love for you just to take a moment for those of you, for those of the listeners that have not heard of you before read your book, would you mind just going through your business experience, how you got to where you're at today? Uh, maybe touch on the experience you had with uh, the Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes company. Sure. So I'll go back to um, tell you a little bit about how I grew up because I think that influenced the rest of my life. I was a lead guitar player of a rock band in high school and it turned out we were the, eventually the highest grossing rock band in our little neck of the woods in Brooklyn, New York. And um, what that did is it taught me a lot about business, a lot about promotion, a lot about PR, a lot about how to get testimonials and use them to sell. So in a way, I thought that was terrific and a great way to start my life. Of course, I also dealt drugs in high school before becoming addicted to heroin. So that too was a great way to learn about <laughs> distribution, dealer networks. I got to tell you, I was so blessed to have all these wonderful things happen to me. <laughs> well, it's the whole life happening for you, right? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, part of that journey led me, everything that I just told you, all of that led me to where I am today on this call with you. So I'm so glad to be here. And what ended up happening as I graduated high school, and I was so interested in electronics. I went to school to become an electrical engineer, but I discovered that engineering is not as much fun as selling. And that's when I really, really took off in business. I began my sales career at the age of about 26. And I sold for two years and I got some amazing experience. At the age of 27, I was generating about 35000 a month in commissions. And you know how old I am. So you can imagine how long ago that was. <laughs> uh, that was a lot of money. And I was so unsophisticated financially. I was putting $100,000 in a bank and I took the passbook and I put it in my sock drawer. And then I'd go to another bank and open up another account. So I had a collection of passbooks in my sock drawer. I had no idea other than that what to do with money. That was my education. So when I finally got, got around to starting my software company, I had saved enough money to back myself. And my partner and I came together. We built the software company. I would say that it's a combination of luck, timing, a little bit of skill and a little bit of experience all came together to allow us to build the largest time billing software company in, at that time in history, which led us to sell the company for over eight figures to Sage PLC in the UK. Mm. And it was in that process of growing and building time slips that I met a guy named Chet Holmes. Now, Chet, for, for your listeners, if you don't know Chet, Chet has a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine, uh, one of the best selling books I've ever read. My name is in that book four times, I think. That's what he told me. And I haven't found all four instances, but I know I'm in there. And the point of my experience with Chet was he wanted to sell me something and I didn't want to buy it and he didn't give up. And that's what impressed me most about him. 
And when I did finally buy, it was 18 months later, and I bought space in the magazines he was selling ads in. And those ads changed the company. Those ads turned out to be the best investment we ever made. As a result, we became amazing friends. Mm. And that friendship led me to later uh, be invited into his company to help him, which then led to a relationship with Tony Robbins. The three of us as equity partners put together a company called Business Breakthroughs International, of which my title was president and CEO. So I ran that company. We grew it to 300 and 50 people, over 25 million in sales per year. And then disaster struck and Chet died. And um, when Chet died, it was a new chapter in my life. And I had felt like maybe Chet was telling me it's, it's time for me to go out on my own again. And that's what I did. So I wrote a book called The Invisible Organization, which in effect is a blueprint of how I built business breakthroughs as a virtual company. And that book went on to be a number one Amazon bestseller. It's, uh, it's been quoted in different articles. And uh, I love the fact that it's helped a lot of people save a lot of money by going virtual instead of buying buildings and stuff like they were before. And I would love to ask some questions uh, regarding that book. But going back to your experience with uh, business breakthroughs, how many companies did you work with over that span of time? Do you recall that? I think... I'm going to estimate that it was about 3,500 companies. Wow. That's incredible. So I think it says quite a bit where you had that experience of being successful in business. Then you started to experience where businesses could modify this, that, or the other to break through. Then obviously the tragedy with Chet. But then you took that wisdom, that knowledge, and you created this book with it, the invisible, it's the invisible company, correct? The invisible organization. The invisible organization. So that tells me a lot about that book. Would you maybe summarize a little bit more detail what that book is about, what it teaches the reader, and maybe how you decided on, maybe start with how you decided on actually writing that book? Because you could have written on probably a ton of different topics, given your background, you know, what made you decide to write, uh, to write on that topic? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, first of all, I didn't know that I was going to write that book. I called my friend, a guy named Jay Abraham, and I asked Jay, Jay, what do I do now? I mean, BBI is over and I'm, I resigned and I don't really know what to do with my life right now. It was at one of those moments. We all have them. I mean, and, and Jay said to me, he said something I'll never forget. He goes, Mitch, you cannot prevent the world from knowing what you know. You have to share what you've learned in building BBI with the rest of the world. And I don't know how you're going to do that, but you got to find a way to do it because you just cannot uh, keep that a secret because what you did was amazing. And I said, thanks, Jay. How about a job? <laughs> and uh, he says, well, I don't want to build a company like Chet did. I don't want that infrastructure, but you might be able to find someone who would hire you, but you still have to find a way to share it. And I thought about it and I said, you know, let me just start writing things down. And every night I would basically spend, set aside a quiet hour and just sit and write. And I'd write and I'd write and I'd write. And uh, after about a year, I had about 50,000 words and I thought it was mostly rubbish. So I deleted it off my hard drive because I knew that nobody would read this, whatever I had written. And I said, let's start over, but I needed a theme. And so like that moment just occurs, I just had the thought, what we really did was build a company that was invisible. 
it was an invisible organization. And then I went to GoDaddy and I checked to see the name was available, invisible organization, which was amazing. And I said, well, okay, that's the spine of the book. That's now I know the theme of the book. And now I can go back and repurpose a little bit of what I've written, which wasn't much, and really hammer into this whole theme. And then I did some research and found that other people had written books about working virtually. There's several great books about working virtually, but none of them were for the CEO. They Hmm. were all for the virtual worker. Then I did some research and I discovered that Stanford University had done a study called Does Working From Home Work? conducted in 2014. Mm-hmm. And the, the results were so, I mean, the conclusion was so startling. I figured that between this and what I know, I can produce a pretty compelling story behind how to build a virtual company. So the first thing I do in the book is I talk about CEO mindset because everything starts with mindset. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, the second chapter really is all about the myths and truths about building a virtual company. One of the myths is that if I try to build a virtual company, I'll lose control of my people. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the opposite that's true. And so I kept going through these myths and truths going back and forth. And finally, we get to the point where I cover, really understand the core values of a virtual CEO, how to manage a virtual team, the myths and realities of going virtual. And then finally, we get into the building blocks, the blueprints of the software you need the systems that you need, the philosophies that you need until we literally construct in the book a full virtual company. From there, we get into the superpowers because, you know, once you transform into being a virtual company, you have superpowers you didn't know you had before. Give me an example. Let's go back to the 1990s when American Airlines and other airlines had call centers. So these folks housed thousands of people in buildings, picking up the phone when customers called to make airline reservations. Mm -hmm. And then someone had a bright idea. I said, well, why don't we set up VPNs in everybody's house, virtual private network boxes, which would allow them to transmit securely back and forth from a person's home and send all of our workers home. Well, no one really talks about this. This was the advent of the airline merger story Mm -hmm. because two airlines to merge would have had to have merged their call centers of which was, it was so unwieldy, there were thousands and thousands of people. But now, by the way, people didn't realize that they'd actually be speaking to somebody sitting in their kitchen when they're making a reservation on JetBlue or Southwest or American Airlines, just ask next time you're on the phone and they'll tell you because they're very happy about it. And Delta, I believe Delta is doing that now too, aren't they? It would make sense if they are. So, so that's really the story behind it, that the efficiencies and productivity Attrition drops to nearly zero. Sick days completely go away. Employee satisfaction skyrockets. I mean, it's pretty compelling. Well, it's one of those, again, it's the idea behind technology is to, is to create efficiency. And I look at you know, all the tools that exist to be able to do that. And it, but still companies, I believe, I would say I put myself in that boat uh, where you're held back, right? You're held back because you have a belief associated with what will happen to employees because you envision them at home and it's squirrel syndrome where their focus shifts here and they're shifting here. They're not going to be focused on what they should be doing. But again, at the same time, I would say the mindset that has those thoughts is essentially kind of programmed into how I would say most businesses run, which is a very managerial hierarchical 
structure. And I don't think that's, that works regardless, whether it's physically or virtually. It's a fascinating idea. So what results from your book have you seen? Like what have companies done when they realized the opportunity and, and then where did they go? Where'd they start and where'd they end up? Well, I'll tell you the first example I always talk about is Tony Robbins. Tony saw how we were operating at BBI and sent his entire sales force home. So we saved Tony a million dollars in lease expenses over the course of, of one lease. Then as the book came out, I started getting thank you notes and articles coming out about the book and its application. I'll tell you one quick story about a, um, I believe I wrote about this in the book. I got a call from a guy who has a meatpacking company in New York City. And obviously real estate's very expensive. Those companies have been in place for some of them a hundred years mm -hmm. and they had to expand, but they obviously can't because they're locked into this tiny little space. So he said to me, well, I mean, we can't make meatpacking virtual. I said, no, I understand that. But you can make your accounting department, your marketing department, your sales department, and your traffic department all virtual. So what he did is he took my advice. And by the way, that was free advice on one phone call. <laughs> and uh, turned that basically and ended up expanding his manufacturing operation by 20% without incurring another penny in rent and sent all those people home to work and then ended up blowing his revenue out the door because now he had much more production space. And so we kept hearing this over and over Just again. 20% more, 20% more space turned into that. That's incredible. Yep. Yep. And now I'm on the phone with another guy named Josh Turner, who has a great company called Link Selling. We were building certification program for, for Josh. And as a side note, Josh says to me, by the way, we're going to be setting up another, releasing another building for our expansion. I said, really, Josh, did you read my book? And he goes, no, no. I said, let me send it to you. So I sent him the book. I said, do me a favor. Would you mind holding off on that lease for just a week? I want you to read my book or at least read the first few chapters of it. And he goes, okay. So I call him back. I think it was two weeks later. He said, you just saved me $335,000. I said, really? How'd I do that? He goes, well, we were going to lease this building for five years. And I realized that I could send my entire sales team home. So that's what we did. I said, great. That's the invisible organization way. Now, this was, you know, the book came out 2015. Yep. And I wish we had more time for you to go through examples because I believe that this is a big part of the future as far as how people work and mm -hmm. how they choose to work, but also how companies choose to lead. Because I believe that when you put more trust and more responsibility in people, right, and you have a set of core values and a very clear mission, that they'll do the right thing and more so when they're in their, their home, their environment. And plus all the co-working spaces that exist too. I mean, it's just, it makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. It sure does. Maybe transition to your new book, which is just out, which is called Power Tribes, because I think this concept is fascinating. But Power Tribes, how certification can explode your business, which is brand new. Yep, it sure is. It's actually going to be, by the time this airs, it will be on pre-sale. So if anybody would like to secure a copy of it, first off, hot off the presses, by all means, go to Amazon and do that. And for your video viewers, I'm going to share the cover art of the book itself right now. So, and I'll keep this live until we're done talking about this topic. Is that okay, Patrick? Perfect. Okay, good. So the book is very straightforward. It's all about how certification can and does explode a company's business. Now, the story behind it, and I write about this in the book, it started with my time slip software company. We were a nice little niche software company, probably generating about $2 million, $2.5 million a year, profitable and very happy in doing what we're doing. But we were up against some big competitors, number one. 
Number two, we were growing faster than our revenue could support our infrastructure. So we had problems. Tech support calls were now running 10, 12 minutes hold time, and I didn't like that. And then the other thing, of course, was that there's always a challenge to find more opportunities to sell. So we didn't have the internet back then. So we used direct mail extensively, trade shows and retail. So what ended up happening, and I'm going to take three extra minutes and tell you the story because I think it sets the stage. What ended up happening was I got a call from a very important person in Los Angeles. She was the head of the Los Angeles Bar Technology Committee. And she said, I bought your software and I installed it on my computer and it crashed my computer. And you guys are criminals and thieves. I'm going to sue you to infinity and back. And, And I said, hold on, slow down, slow down. Tell me what happened. And so she basically says that our software is responsible for destroying her entire office. So now remember, she paid $99 for the software. So what I did is I thought to myself, now how am I going to get out there today and help her? Well, I had this idea that I would call another customer who lived in the area, who I happened to know was good with our software. She was an administrator at a law firm nearby. So I Mm -hmm. called her up and I said, hey, Ann, would you do me a favor? Would you run over to this person's office and see if you could straighten her out. I'll pay you whatever you want. Just tell me. She goes, oh, no, no. Thank you, Mitch, for the opportunity. It's, I'm thrilled and honored that you wow. called me. And so I said, well, do me a favor. Just call me at home as soon as you know, because they're in California and I'm in Massachusetts. So it was, must have been about nine o'clock at night. The phone rings and it's Ann. I said, how'd it go? And she goes, oh, she's all set. Yeah, she just didn't get it right. And turned out all you had to do was reinstall the software, index her database, and she's just fine now. And you want to know the best part, Mitch? I said, yeah. She gave me a $100 bill. (laughs) And then that was my light bulb moment. Then I said, what would happen if I were to mobilize my best time slips customers as consultants and deploy them all over the country as a mobile Salesforce support system? Would that be a good idea? And so what I did is I created a test, which was step one. I created a test and I offered the test for sale. I sold it for $500. If people passed it, they could become certified. If they didn't pass it, we'd return half their money. So we got about, I think it was two or 300 test checks that people wanted. And how, how many clients? Oh, well, we, at the time, we probably had 80,000, maybe okay. 70, 80,000 clients at the time. Got it which was a third of our total clients when I sold the company. But anyway, and we didn't mail it to everybody. We just mailed it to people who had active tech support plans. So it was even a smaller subset. Got it. Okay. And the short and long of it is, is that what we did is we certified a small group, maybe 20 or 25 people, and it was working, but we had a problem. Turns out that although we certified them, we never taught them how to be consultants. Mm. So some of these folks showed up looking like Elmer Fudd and smelling like worse. And, <laughs> and it became basically a, a bit of a nightmare. It almost crashed the company because they had caused problems. There was one guy who was mentally unstable and threatened to kill everybody in the office because nobody was listening to the training while he was teaching. Oh my gosh. So what we had to do is we had to shut down the program and restart it now with a much higher level of care, if you will, in training. So we did. It took six months. I called every person who had a problem. I interviewed them and find out what the problem was. And I rebuilt the program. My team and I, we rebuilt the program, reopened it, and ended up in less than a year selling 350 certifications. Now, we had 350 certified consultants spread out all over the country. 
They became our third largest sales channel. And over the course of two years, basically doubled our revenue and uh, reduced our support costs by 20%. Now, everyone in the world is saying to me, how did you do this? What did you do? Share it with me. So I got a call from a buddy of mine. His name is Scott Cook, founder of Intuit, co-founder actually. And Scott says, uh, Mitch, um, yeah, I hear about what you're doing there with your certified consultants. You think you could share that system with me? I said, absolutely, Scott. Love to. So now let's said, maybe talk, maybe expand on Intuit. So, because Intuit owns QuickBooks, they own uh, Mint.com now, I think. Yep. And, uh, and then uh, in Quicken. So it's Quicken. Big, I believe they sold Quicken. Yeah. So, of course, Scott knew what I wanted. Scott had a policy where no third party products were able to link back then to QuickBooks or to Quicken. So I said, Scott, I would be thrilled to share it with you, but you know what I need, right? He goes, yep, I know. I'm prepared now. So I said, great. So I got what I wanted, which was an exclusive link between my time and billing software, which was basically a receivables module for accounting for services directly into QuickBooks. And that, again, elevated us yet one more notch. That's, that's but awesome. Can, can you imagine competitors going up against me now? I mean, I have offices in every state. I had 28 offices in California alone. <laughs> Certification changed the world and allowed me to sell the company for eight figures. So yeah. needless to say, I'm a fan. Now, did you incorporate that into the company that you ran with uh, Tony Robbins and, and Shea Holmes, Business Builders? I'm having a Business Breakthroughs International. Business breakthroughs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the answer is no. And we never did that because we were moving so fast on so many different fronts there were 11 divisions, including operations. That meant 11 different or, or nine different products and all different sales forces and all that stuff. So we were, we were running at full speed all the time. We never got around to it. We still ended up with well over 50 coaches who worked with us directly and another 15 consultants, high-level, high-end consultants. So certification never really played a role in what we did. In fact, they actually kind of forgot about it in a sense that awesome. I never brought it up again until a client asked me if I would do it for them. And they had read one of my blog posts I had put on my mm. MitchRusso.com and said, do you think you could do that for us? And uh, of course, I didn't know what to charge. I said, what do you charge for something that could have such dramatic circumstances? So I picked the number out of thin air and they said, sure, that sounds fine. And I built their certification for them. And now doing it in modern era in 2000, really in 2016, 17, 2016, mostly, I incorporated all the tools that we now have. So we, and we have a wealth of amazing tools that we could use now to build certification. We have learning management systems, for example. I mean, we have all kinds of marketing systems and Infusionsoft, et cetera. So, I mean, we, then we built a fantastic system for him. And then I started getting more clients. And that's when I decided that I'd like to write a book about it. And that's what Power Tribes is all about. Let's talk about how other big companies, you mentioned Intuit. Let's talk about other massive companies and how they've used certifications to not just grow like their team, but to, to actually market by certifying actual clients and customers. Sure. Well, my favorite example, I mean, there's dozens of them. My favorite example is Infusionsoft. Now, for many years, people would call Infusionsoft Confusionsoft. I'm sure you've heard that before. Yeah, there's t-shirts out there that say. Right, right. And the reason is because it's hard to use. Yeah. I don't care what they say today. To me, it's still hard to use. But here's the interesting thing. Infusionsoft was a nice little company out in somewhere in, near Phoenix, Arizona. 
maybe running at about five, six million a year in sales, which is still pretty good for a little software company. But then someone had the bright idea is why don't we teach some of our best customers how to install and maintain Infusionsoft so we don't have to. And that became the beginning of their certification program. Well, if anyone knows what Infusionsoft is today, it is basically a, I believe you would consider it a billion dollar company by now in terms of market cap. They have uh, dominated the CRM space when it comes to uh, sequential marketing and they've done it all through by building certified consultants. Now, not only did they end up turning all those folks into salespeople, so now certified consultants actually sell and get a commission for every time somebody buys Infusionsoft and signs up for it every, and pays for it every month. But not only that, but they also ended up with a tech force that is unmatched in terms of size and power. So using certification, not only do they do the things I just mentioned, but they generate millions and millions of dollars in certification fees, in symposium and event fees and training and all these things play into how they use certification to double and quadruple their business just about all the time. And so my claim is that there are at least four recurring revenue streams in every company that nobody is tapping into. And certification does that. Certification taps into that, creates those four recurring revenue streams. And I've been able to see as many as eight under certain circumstances. Well, you and I, before we started recording, you know, talked briefly about Salesforce, right? Because Salesforce is a software that I've used for a number of years. And I've gone to Dreamforce, which basically is the, the tech takeover of San Francisco. And it is, it's one of those companies that I would say is just, I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. If you go to Dreamforce, you'll experience that. And now they have the biggest, you know, they're in the biggest building uh, in, I believe, on the, on the West Coast. But a lot of how their business works, okay, is through certification because it's a, essentially a platform in which people, companies can build uh, integrations or apps or customizations. And, and so they basically certified their customers to do more business with them. So it's a fascinating, fascinating idea. What was your, maybe comment on your experience at, uh, at Dreamforce? Well, I was at Dreamforce to meet with Tony. So Tony and I had set up a time when he was going to be speaking on stage with Benioff and I was going to meet him the night before. Okay. So I flew in from Boston that day. I ended up meeting Tony at 1 a.m. in the morning and we had three hours of meetings. It was 4 a.m. by the time we recorded a video together that we used to send back to the company to talk about the new direction that we were going to be taking the company. Mm. But that next day I came out on the floor and I walked around and I sat through some of the keynotes and there were thousands of not people there, but vendors. Vendors, yeah. Vendors. And every one of those vendors was paying to be there. And every one of those vendors supported Salesforce in one way or another. So, I mean, look at what certification did for Salesforce. Look at what other CRM companies are missing. I mean, this is the story I tell all the time. When I talk to somebody who has CRM software, they said, yeah, well, eventually we're going to get around to that. You know, and I said, well, okay, take your time, you know, but look at what it's done for these type of companies. Yeah. Now, does that mean that because Salesforce exists or because Infusionsoft exists that no one else can do it? Absolutely not. It's there for anybody to do if you do it the right way. And if you build, and this is the reason why I named the book this way. The goal is not to just sell certification. The goal is to build a tribe. Mm -hmm. a loyal tribe led in the direction 
that is in complete synchronization with the company and the company's founder. And when these things happen, when you are able to align your tribe with the values of the company, you create something much bigger and more important than a company itself. You create this huge supportive community that actually has more importance than your own employees. That's what certification does. And in my world, when I build certification with and for clients, we start with the code of ethics. And with the code of ethics, I have a standard code of ethics, 38-point code of ethics, which I provide my clients, and we customize those to meet exactly their values. And then we record the culture course. Now, the culture course I have created, but is recorded in the CEO's voice. And what the culture course does is it brings everybody into alignment. It basically makes sure that all certified consultants understand the boundaries in which they're allowed to play and do anything they want, as long as they stay within the boundaries set out by the code of ethics and the culture course, they can do edit whatever they want. And that is amazing freedom. So let me just back up because this is significant. So you essentially have created your 38 points, your code of ethics, and then you go into a company and essentially align, whether it's 10, whether it's five, whether it's 20, you align those. But then because you already have them done, then the CEO or the leader is able to just record what you've already uh, created, but it aligns perfectly with the company. That's right. The reason is, is because, look, we all have common values. It's just that without stating those common values, we don't know what they are. Here's a simple example. Now, Patrick, you would never encourage someone to copy the content of your website and pawn it off as their own, would you? No. Right. Well, that actually happens. Like people hire a coaching organization, brings on a new coach. Well, without a code of ethics, without establishing a culture, at that point, we've seen coaches do exactly what I just said and worse. So the idea is if you set guidelines and boundaries and then you encourage people to work within them, Mm -hmm. you only get exactly what you want. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you don't know what you're going to get. Because I think everyone brings years, decades, and thousands, millions of experiences that have formed their perspective of how things should be. And they're all different. And so I would say the binding nature of, of a code or a set of values okay, allows everyone to talk from maybe not the exact same perspective, but from, I would say, the, the closest to exact possible. Exactly. And that, again, is why I believe it was so important to codify this. And, and, and by the way, this is the same code. I've evolved this code over the course of 20 years. Mm-hmm. This is the same code we started with at Timeslips Corporation, later brought to BBI and evolved there further. And then we ended up using it when we work with clients as well. So amazing. Yeah, to me, it's the way that you build a company's values together with the people in the company mm-hmm. and then create this foundation as an extension to everyone who you bring in as a consultant. Yeah, it's absolutely necessary. I mean, you gave examples of when you were kind of experimenting this with your first company and how you had the guy that was mentally unstable okay, go yeah. in and almost ruin not just your brand, but the other company too. So I would say looking at those values, I mean, the first step in any venture, as far as what I've been taught, starts there to make sure that everybody is aligned. Exactly. When we were at BBI, we had a, one of our best salesmen happened to have an interest in neo-Nazism. It turned out his Facebook was covered with it. And he was a perfectly nice guy. We never knew that except he was 
thrilled to share it with customers. Well, well <laughs> you can imagine we weren't too happy about that. No. <laughs> As I take step out of my perspective and look at this conversation from our listeners' standpoint, I would say you don't have Mary, you know, Mark Benioff's uh, in the audience. And so for maybe uh, some of the smaller organizations that you address in the book, how do you have that conversation with them that this isn't just a billion dollar company idea, that this can be done on a very small scale? Well, exactly. And some of my clients now are in fact, relatively small companies, comparatively speaking. So I'll explain the math to you and you'll see exactly what size company works. So if you were to offer certification to your customers, let's think of your client base and, and that number is X. And what you know about your customer base or your client base is that there's a percentage of them that are very passionate about you and your work and the products that you've created. Well, those people, number one, set themselves apart because they're passionate. Then if we take a subsection of them and we call them early adapters, those are the folks that are going to buy just about anything you offer anytime you offer it. So if you look at a whole population and we were to do an estimate of the early adapters, it would be somewhere between two and possibly on the high end, 5% of your audience. So if you have an audience and let's say you have 500 people who are your customers, which isn't a very big company, and you said 5% of that, that's 25 people. Let's say 3% of that, that's, so it's 15 people. Now, if you were to sell 15 people certification for $20,000 a copy or $25,000 a copy, that's a nice little windfall that you get to repeat every quarter. Because once the first 15 certify, then those testimonials from those people are used to sell the, you know, think about the mountaintop, right? Here's the early adapters at the top. Then there's the people who would be open to it if they understood it, but want to wait for somebody else to, to have gone first. Mm-hmm. So then you have an, a larger element of that pinnacle and that mountaintop who would be available to, to buy certification and on and on. So you could literally build certification for a company running just a few million dollars in revenue as long as you have enough customers to cover the expenses of building your very first launch. So once you launch certification and once you generate that first tranche of money, you would set aside 20% of that to market. And here's the key. This is what, if you go on the internet and you say, I want to be a coach, you can buy coach certification for anywhere from $75 to $18,000. I think if you buy it from the John Maxwell organization and what you get is a certificate and a thank you. I think you get a thank you. (laughs) And at that point, you're on your own. Yeah. And with that, the words good luck come to mind. So my belief is that the people that we would certify in the organizations I work with would never, ever, ever be sold a bill of goods like that. Instead, what we're offering them is a lifetime opportunity to create a profession. And in order to create a profession, there has to be leads. So in order to sell certification, my mandate is that we have to also create a lead generation system for are certified consultants. And that's everything I lay out in the book on exactly how to do that. Most people don't realize they already have more leads than they need because if you think about any company, 90% of their mailing list are prospects who never bought. Well, if you went back to those same prospects, even if they're two years old and said, by the way, last time we tried to sell you this, but now we'd like to sell it to you with a series of free one-on-one coaching sessions that will help you get started and make sure that you're successful. You're going to revive some percentage of those folks. 
Now the coaches or consultants in this case are going to be thrilled to work for free. Why? Because they get to build a relationship with these people and eventually upsell them to coaching or consulting. So we already know that anybody we talk to already has a built-in prospect base that we can convert some percentage to new clients. So we're generating revenue from certification. We're generating revenue from the old client base. We're generating revenue from the training that we provide on a yearly basis. And we have another thing that we talk about in the book called Ascension. Now, every company that you would ever go to work for has a path. So if you come in at the entry level, if you do a good job, you get to be promoted to the next level. Well, why shouldn't certification programs have an Ascension path as well? So my belief is that you create Ascension in any program that costs uh, money to ascend, but at the same time returns 3x to 10x what you paid. So that's the theory on which my programs work, that if a client pays for certification, by 12 months later, they should have 3x to 10x what they paid back and willing to pay again next year. Well, this is when I was uh, doing some of my research before the interview, I saw that and there's lots of thoughts that have gone through my head in the past, especially with all the certifications that I pay for people that are here that work for me, but it's not my certifications. They're certifications for other programs. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of things, and, and I've thought over the years just how powerful that, uh, that idea is, but I think it's profound being able to certify an existing relationships that you have. It's a profound idea. I'm excited to read the book. And I know we don't have all day. I mean, this could probably go on for a lot longer because I have tons of intrigue around this topic. Let's maybe do a follow-up for sure in the future. But what, would, what are the best ways the, to learn about the book or to buy the book? Or do you have some learning that you have online where people can actually go and learn more about this uh, the idea and how to incorporate it into a business? Well, yes, I have. First of all, you can go to mypowertribe.com, which is where you would get information about the services that I deliver. And then now as the book is being released, you can go on Amazon and you could just Google Mitch Russo or search for Mitch Russo. You'll see both my books now, I believe, uh, there. And you could place an order for Power Tribes. I believe Power Tribes is going to be officially released at the end of November, but it's going on pre-sale uh, shortly. So if you order the book pre-sale, you're also going to get something free from me. Uh, We're creating a short course that we're going to sell for $495. And anyone who pre-orders the book is going to get the course for free. So at that point, all you have to do is go to powertribesbook.com. And on that page, you'll be able to enter the invoice number from your Amazon receipt and get access to the course. So for about, I'm going to say, whatever the book might cost, maybe 20 bucks you're going to get what I think of as a pretty informative course on how to really set yourself up for certification in terms of understanding what it takes, making sure you're a fit, and understanding the benefits of doing it. Awesome. Uh, And why don't you give out the other ways in which people can follow you, learn more about you? Because I know you have a few other websites. I do. Yeah, I probably have too many websites. Probably the central website for me is mitchrusso.com. And that's the place where all, I have over 50 business building blog posts there. I house my podcast there and you could probably contact me very easily from that place as well. And so for the most part, I'm pretty, you just have to Google Mitch Russo. I'm all over the place. And you have an awesome podcast too. I mean, the, the first thousand clients podcast. So you're, uh, you're doing quite a bit. And I just wanted to thank you for you know, the value you're providing based on the experiences that you, you've had. And I can't wait to learn more about the certification idea. I think it's fascinating. 
Yeah, well, you're going to learn a lot more about it because uh, there's going to be a fairly big release on that. And I'm excited to talk to people in the press and podcasters like yourself about it because I believe it's the kind of way that we work today. I believe the world is evolving to individuals being empowered and going out there and crafting their future by themselves with the help of others. And this is basically a blueprint for how to do it. Yeah, society is so filled with opportunities. And, you know, I would say the, a mindset is definitely a big barrier to that. And I know you talk about that quite a bit, but this is just testament to the fact that within business, there's multiple ways in which you can create value for, for other people. You just have to open up your mind to, uh, to those possibilities. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Well, Mitch, it's been wonderful having you on. Thank you again. We'll make sure that uh, all the links that we've mentioned are on the show notes. And then also we'll post everything through social media for you to help uh, create that buzz. Awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick. Okay. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes and we'll see you on the next one.